Thank you, Jake. Thank you, Mike, for your prayers and musicians. Uh, let's, let's pray again as we approach this text. Our Father, we come to you again in prayer, and it's good for us to do so, because to do so puts us in a posture of, of praise and also dependence. We acknowledge you as the giver of life, that everything we see, feel, touch, smell, is all your word spoken at creation, your word sustained by Jesus. And so we pray that your word, these scriptures, would be communicated in power this morning by your spirit. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. So um, let's go back to the beginning. Adam and Eve, they're in a garden. It's a safe place. It's a place marked by abundance, bounty, green pastures, ample supply, flourishing. It's enclosed. It's an enclosed space. Um, It's a place where Adam and Eve could live flourishing and also live uh, not just tending to creation and seeing kind of its, its abundance come forth, but also it was a place where Adam and Eve were tended to by a shepherd, God, their father. They walked with him. He cared for them. And when Adam and Eve rebelled and ate the fruit, disobeyed the Lord, they opted out of all of those blessings. And all of a sudden, they found themselves in a wild, barren land. A land where they had to work hard by the sweat of their brow for food. And even then, as hard as they worked, maybe the food wouldn't come. They became scattered. They became adrift. They became like the scriptures describe, like sheep without a shepherd. And, you know, I, I think we feel this. We feel this sense deep down of dislocation of being adrift, of being uh, homesick. We have memories of, of a better way, a better place. You know, nostalgia sort of infects all of us, right? We, we got this sense of like the good old days. But if, really, it wasn't good. It's, it's almost like it's a memory of the garden, of life in green pastures with the good shepherd taking care of us. And now we're, we've got threats that we face. Threats that are big and small. There's nuclear bombs. And there's, uh, there's aluminum in our deodorant that I'm told if used over time will cause cancer. Right? There's, there's abusive world powers that are trying to eradicate entire peoples through genocide. And then there's ticks out in the wild. Like there's all kinds of problems. Just this past week I read that um, we are spinning, we're, we're, you, you could think of us as like being on a merry-go-round, whipping around at 750 miles per hour. That's how fast the world is spinning. 750 miles per hour. And what this article was saying is that if it sped up just one mile per hour, all of the problems that would result, our satellites would get thrown into confusion, sea levels would rise, just one mile per hour. Like, we're precarious. Our, our place in this world is delicate. And we need someone to care for us. We can't, make, we can't go this alone. 
That's what the scriptures say. That we're, we're like sheep. We're not lone wolves. We're more like sheep. And we don't have a shepherd and we've been scattered. And so we come to this famous passage where Jesus makes these uh, proclamations of, of, of being the good shepherd. I, we've got three points this morning. The first is shepherds. It's in the title of the sermon. Shepherds, sheep, and, and the good shepherd. So shepherds, sheep, and the good shepherd. Now, this sheep metaphor is a rich one when it comes to the scriptures. I mean, from the very beginning, we see um, Abel is a, is a shepherd who keeps flocks. So, um, and, and, and as the scriptures progress, um, the leaders of Israel are described as shepherds of the people. And to this day in the Middle East, the leaders of the people are described as shepherds. Political leaders are shepherds of the people. Right? It's, it's, it's language that's still used. And Moses is described as a shepherd. David is described as a shepherd. Numbers chapter 27 verses 16 and 17 says this. Let the Lord, the God of the Spirit, spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation who shall go out before them, come in before them, who shall lead them out and bring them in. This is shepherding language of a shepherd taking the flock out, leading them in. That the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep that have no shepherd. And the answer in that instance was God providing Joshua to lead the people. Okay? In Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Right? The most famous psalm. It, it picks up the same imagery of shepherding and sheep and shepherd. And so we come to this passage. My only point to say all that is to say when Jesus starts talking about shepherding and sheep keeping, this, the people have a, a catalog of experiences and, and images and metaphors to draw upon to understand what Jesus is describing. And unless you were in FFA, you probably don't have that same catalog. I don't. Um, so we need to do a little legwork to understand what exactly he's describing. He speaks right off the bat in verse 1 of a sheepfold. What's a sheepfold? Well, a sheepfold would have been an enclosure, uh, a little pen for the sheep. Right? And maybe it was provided by natural kind of the landscape, so like the edge of a cliff or maybe a cave provided the sheepfold. Maybe it was a stone wall. But what would happen is that the shepherds of the community would bring in their, their flocks into this pen at night and several shepherds would watch the, the flocks. And there would, it would be enclosed and if it was a stone wall likely had like thorn bushes on top and there would have been a single opening where the shepherds would, would make their way in. The gate, the door of the sheep. Um, of the sheepfold. And Jesus makes this point, it's, it's kind of an obvious point in verse 1. He says, the person who enters by the door, by the gate of the sheepfold, that person is legit. The person who hops over the fence, not so much. Right? Maybe you live in a gated community. If a person is at the gate and they open the gate and they make their way in, they're probably a legitimate Visitor or a person that lives there or a friend of a person that lives there, a family member. 
But if you're standing at the gate and you look 50 yards down the way and you see somebody in the bushes hopping the fence to get into the gated community, maybe some suspicious activity going on. And that's what Jesus is saying. The person who hops the fence is a, is a thief, a robber. Now, oh, this sheepfold would have several shepherds making their way in. And so this, while this makes sense to them at a very surface level, the hearers, um, they, it says that they don't understand. They still don't understand. And so Jesus, in verse 7, sheds more light on the matter. And look at what he says. Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. And he says the same thing in verse 9. I'm the door. That's what he's saying. Now, this is, this is interesting because... I, I looked at a lot of commentaries on this passage. I even listened to a number of sermons. And I, I don't know that very many, in my estimation, get it right, what Jesus is describing. He is saying in these first ten verses that he is the door, the gate. And he says that to clarify. And so what that means is he's not the shepherd in the first ten verses. He's not, he's not calling himself the shepherd. It gets really confusing if you're using a metaphor and you bounce between, I'm the door, I'm the shepherd, I'm the door. I'm the... That gets confusing. So if he's clarifying, he's trying to simplify it by saying, I'm the door. And it makes sense because look at verse 2. It says, he who enters by the door is not, now your, your translation says, is not the shepherd. But there's no definite article. The the is not in the Greek. So a better translation is to say is, is not a shepherd. And so what Jesus is saying here is that he's not the shepherd, not in these first ten verses at least. He is the door. And that his shepherds, the pastor of his people, come in through him. They're, they're, they're proclaiming Jesus. They're making their way through Jesus. Okay? That's what he's saying. And so who's the shepherds? Who are the shepherds that Jesus is talking about? They're, it's me. It's pastors. It's the pastor that you had growing up. It's preachers and Christian church leaders. These are the, these are the shepherds. And what Jesus is saying is, my shepherds, my pastors, my preachers come in through the door. They proclaim me. They teach, they preach Jesus. And to the extent that they're faithful to me, the good shepherd, they're, they're going to be preaching me. That's what he's saying. And we got to just step back for a moment. This, this passage is coming on the heels of the blind man episode. Remember that we spent, I think, three weeks looking at, which comes on the heels of the Feast of Booths. So this is all one big event taking place over multiple chapters. And Jesus is unpacking and explaining all that took place with the blind man. And remember the Pharisees? They kept directing the people away from Jesus. They kept trying to distract people. And they even pressured his parents. Remember his mom and dad? They felt the heat from the Pharisees and they said, uh, Yeah, our son was born blind and he's blind from birth. He's our son. But we don't know anything about, we're not going to say any statements about Jesus. Because they were trying to appease the Pharisees. The blind man, on the other hand, he's proclaiming Jesus at every opportunity. 
in the face of great pressure. He's saying, I don't know what exactly happened, but this guy did it. Jesus, he saved my, he saved my life. And then he starts saying, you know, and he says, does, does, are these the works of the devil? He starts taking the Pharisees to school in his proclamation of Jesus and the veracity, the truthfulness of Jesus as a result of his healing. That's what he's saying. He, this is what the blind man is doing. So the blind man is a, is a shepherd that's proclaiming Jesus. He's going in through the door. And what Jesus is doing in this passage is he's providing an indictment to the religious leaders, the Pharisees. He's saying, look, Pharisee, you are distracting my sheep from, the, from me. To the extent that you pull people away from Christ, you're no pastor, you're no shepherd, you're a thief, and you're a robber. And you know in the background there is, there is this passage, Ezekiel 34, verses 2 through 6, that's in, that's in the backdrop. Listen to what it says. It says, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you don't feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you've not bound up, the strayed you've not brought back, the lost you've not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered. Because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered all over the mountains. And on every high hill, my, my, hill, my sheep were scattered all over the face of the earth with none to search for them. Do you see what he's saying? You're no shepherds. Because shepherds tend to the sheep. And you're using the sheep to tend to you. So that they can make you fat with their food, with their meat. So that you can shear their coats and they can get, they'll give you a plush, nice, luxurious wool cloak. You're using them. And when they wander off, you don't care. You're using the sheep is what Jesus is saying. The thieves hop the fence. The shepherds go through the door, which is Christ. They preach Christ. They teach Christ. They point the sheep to Christ. Now, there's a lot of churches that preach a lot of different things. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe they're even biblical. Remember, the Pharisees were very biblical, by the way. They were almost too biblical. They, they were locked in. They, they totally missed uh, the forest for the trees. They were so locked in on the particulars of the law that they, that they missed the one who gave the law, right? The standing right before them. They're blind to it. Um, in many, many churches, it's tempting for, for, for churches to fall into the same trap as the Pharisees. For pastors to sneak over the wall and preach things other than Christ. To preach self-help. Or sexual freedom. Or maybe even like rigidly strict doctrine. Maybe to get locked in on a topic of creation. Or end times. And it becomes the focal point of the whole, of the whole church and of the pastor's messaging. It's something other than Christ. Maybe it's the church that preaches all leadership strategies. But they're not preaching Jesus. And Jesus is giving very strong language. He's saying they're not coming in through the door. They're, they're hopping the fence, and as a result, they're thieves and robbers. 
Because they're taking sheep away from me. There's many that preach an angry Christian nationalism or a tolerant Christian progressivism. And sure, they'll sprinkle, sprinkle Jesus on top, but it's not essentially Christ-centered. It's not essentially about Christ. And Jesus says, look, my shepherds are all about me. They come in through the door. I'm the door. They come in straight through me, and they proclaim me. And look, this, this sermon is more for me than it is uh, for you. So I, this has been kind of a, a rough one this week to kind of work through. My prayer is that I preach Christ faithfully. And we're, in fact, we're in the process of identifying um, elders for this church. And we'll begin the process of training those elders um, this coming month. And I'm, I'm, you know, th- I'm thankful for these men that will eventually come on board and slap me upside the head if I start preaching something other than Christ. Because this is, where, this is the power of the gospel. This is how the Spirit works. By the preaching of Christ. And look, if you're visiting with us, and um, we're, we're glad you're here. We welcome you to this church. And if you, if you end up joining us, that's wonderful. That's great. But if not, that's okay too. But my strong admonition to you is to find a church that proclaims Christ. The preacher, the pastors, the teaching. May it be Christ-centered. Because I think what Jesus is saying here is, if it's not, the preacher, teacher, they're hopping the fence. They're thieves, they're robbers, they're detracting, distracting the sheep from what is central, Christ. And it's understandable that we would, um, we pastors, would be tempted to preach something other than Christ. Uh, Harold Sinkbeel, who's, who's a longtime Lutheran pastor, re- recently written a book called The Care of Souls. And in it, he says this, and I think it's really good. So hang, it's, it's a lengthy quote, but hang with me. He says, he's talking to pastors, right? He says, you and I easily pick up the, the delusions of our age that cloud our vision when it comes to pastoral work. Since the operations of God's spirit, like how God gets things done, is through the preaching and the administration of the sacraments, since those things are hidden from the eyes, it's very easy for us to set them aside in favor of approaches to pastoral work that promise more immediate and visible results. We're always working the dark, so to speak. We, can, we ourselves cannot detect the operations of the Holy Spirit. Like we, we don't, I don't know what's going on in your hearts. This whole endeavor is an act of faith. We, I come, I preach, and I... Spend time preparing. I don't know what's happening in your hearts. Every once in a while, there's a little fruit that bubbles to the surface, and it's like, oh, the promises are real. It's true. But I don't know what's going on. He says we can't apply a spiritual stethoscope or a blood pressure monitor to the soul. Only God himself sees into the human heart. And so spiritual ministry, by definition, can't be measured On the other hand, managerial and psychological approaches to working with people are much more easily quantifiable and thus are more satisfying, especially in a time of declining church membership and attendance. When churches find themselves struggling financially, we pastors are easily persuaded to focus on these helpful and beneficial modes of ministry to the exclusion of the essential. Right? 
Those things aren't bad, but if they supplant what is central, Christ, they become a huge problem. Okay? Notice the progression, too, in this quote. Pastor gets discouraged. Pastor seeks more visible, tangible demonstrations of success. Pastor leans into business models, managerial models, psychological models, which all provide more tangible fruits in the life of the pastor. That's the progression. And Jesus is saying, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't miss the essential. Don't don't miss the door and try to hop the fence because you become a thief. The sheep become, become... Uh, little tools to prop up our egos as pastors and preachers. To see um, to meat, right, that we eat and get fat on or wool that we clothe ourselves with. The sheep become tools. Jesus says, you're, you're a thief and a robber. Okay, that's the first point, the shepherds. Second point is sheep. Now, sheep are cute, they're cuddly. We don't, probably don't know a whole lot about them. They're timid. They're very vulnerable. They're essentially defenseless. I mean, a sheep in the wild is a goner. We, we, you know, we say sitting ducks. Uh, at least, it, you know, ducks at least in water. Um, a sheep has zero defense mechanisms. Um, they're pretty, pretty darn helpless out there in the wild. Um, and Jesus is saying, look... My people are sheep. And it's a con- like we said, it's a common biblical metaphor. The people of God are sheep. We need a, a, a leader. Sheep are domesticated animals, which means that they rely on the, the help of humans to stay alive. You know, even dogs are domesticated. And a dog cannot survive very long in, a wild, in the wild, as opposed to a, like a wolf, which is much more independent and inclined to find food on its own. That's the difference between a wild animal and domesticated animal. And sheep are fully domesticated, fully dependent upon us for care. And, so, and, and, and they also need protection. They need a sheepfold. That's why the sheepfold is there, to protect them from their vulnerabilities of, uh, in life in the wild. And what, Jesus, what the scriptures and Jesus is saying here is because we're like sheep, we really need a leader. We really long for one, don't we? I mean, think about the soaring hopes that we place in political leaders. Whatever side of the aisle you're on, there is incredible hope placed on these leaders that we have. Messianic hope that these people will swoop in and save the day, bring in our vision of of the world and save us. Don't you feel that during an election cycle? The, the anger that people have towards the opponent because it's the leader that's... We're, we're drawn, as people, we're drawn to leaders because we're sheep-like. We want someone to lead us, to take care of us, to provide for us. And then he says in verse 3 that the sheep hear his voice. The sheep hear his voice. There's an interesting story in the 1980s in uh, Israel, uh, in, in, around Bethlehem, and his, Israeli troops invaded and um, sort of flexed their muscles to the Palestinians. And what they did in this little village was they took all of the flocks of the village. Again, this is 1980s. The commander 
took all the flocks of all the people in the community and they herded them and brought them down and kind of kept them cooped up. Hundreds and hundreds of sheep and goats and all cattle and all kinds of livestock pinned up. And there was, a, there was a widow and her son who went to the Israeli commander and said, My husband has died. We have nothing. We need our 25 sheep. Can we have them? And he said, Good luck. How are you going to find them? I mean, there's hundreds of them. How are you going to find them? They're all mixed up together. She said, if I, if I go find them, will you let me have them? He said, sure. So she goes down there. Her son pulls out a flute. And he starts playing a little tune on the flute. And all of a sudden, 25 little sheep heads pop up. They turn, they look, and they start trotting to the little boy. And the mom and the boy walk their sheep home with the flute, playing the flute tune. And this is true. Sheep understand the voice or even the song of, of, their, of their masters. And Jesus is saying, my sheep hear my voice. In the 20th century, Many Protestant denominations abandoned central tenets of, of our faith. The virgin birth, the resurrection, the propitiation of Christ on the cross. All of these key central doctrines of Jesus. In other words, they got distracted from the, from the heart of the Christian message. And you know what happened to those churches over the last 60 plus years? They dwindled. Why did they dwindle? Because the sheep didn't recognize the voice. They, they didn't hear Jesus. And so they left. And that's what Jesus is saying. My sheep, they hear my voice. They don't listen to thieves and robbers. And again, the, the backdrop is the blind man. Remember, the Pharisees brought all of their education, all of their power, all of their strength, all of their pressure to this blind man. And they were saying, now, now really, who did this? And they kept asking him. And he kept saying, it was Jesus. It was Jesus. Haven't we been here before? It was Jesus. He, he, does, he doesn't even flinch before the thieves and robbers because he has his eyes, his newly healed eyes, set on Jesus. Okay, so that's the sheep. Now, final consideration is point number three, the good shepherd. So at verse 11, Jesus shifts gears and he changes the metaphor. Now he's no longer the door, but what does he say in verse 11? He says he's the good shepherd. In other words, Jesus has lots of little shepherds. You might even think about it if you prefer. Think of pastors as little sheepdogs that the shepherd sends out to go corral the sheep. And they're barking to the glory of Christ, bringing in the sheep. But he's the good shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd. And he says, I'm the good shepherd. And what does he say next? Verse 11. The good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. This is what a good shepherd does. When bears or lions or wolves come to the sheep, the shepherd puts his life forward, defends them with everything that he has to protect, to protect the, the sheep. And this is what we've been seeing all along. The ministry of Jesus... All of his power, every ounce of his power, has, has any of it been used for himself? Not at all. In fact, he doesn't even have a home. He's, he's, he's walking, he's wandering, he's on the move. Because he is exerting all of his energy for his people. The total opposite of the bad shepherd 
who just shears the sheep, eats their fat, and moves on, discards them. Jesus has been using all of his power for the sheep. And we know where this is heading, right? He's giving us a huge clue to where all of this is heading because in just a few months, six months at the most, Jesus is going to be laying down his life for the sheep. He's going to be on a, on a cross in the following spring. And he will do it on his own accord. And not just that, verse 18, he says he's going to come back to life. He has the authority to, to give his life and to, to bring it back, to, to be raised from the dead. And not just that, but he says in verse 16 that he's got other sheep that are not of this fold. The Gentiles. And he's going to go and he's going to find sheep that have been scattered across the globe. And he's going to bring them to his fold. They're going to be his people. And he's going to make one people out of the two. Out of Jew and Gentile. He's going to make one people the church. Let's, let's uh, Ezekiel 34 again. We looked at it. All the proclamations of bad shepherding. And then verses 11 of, of Ezekiel chapter 34 says this. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep. And I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the ravines, and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak. See... Only Jesus gives. Everybody else takes. Even the, the leaders of Israel, they all took. They took land, they took people, they took wives, they took daughters and sons, and they used them for their own purposes. But the only thing Jesus does in his ministry is give. He's, he's pouring himself out constantly, and it's epitomized in his, in his death. Do, do, do you hear what this means for us? That Jesus is the good shepherd? Are you afraid? Maybe you can't even pinpoint it. You're just, you're just fearful. Well, Jesus is the good shepherd who cares and protects you. Are you cynical? Maybe you've been in relationship after relationship where others have taken advantage of you. They've used you like a tool. And you've grown cynical and jaded as a result. Well, Jesus is the good shepherd who lays his life down for you. For you. Maybe you wander off to deserts in search of, of food and other pastures, barren lands where you think you're going to deliver. Maybe it's um, sexual delight or drug or alcohol abuse or just kind of gluttony, just food, and you're out there and you're grazing in these deserts. Jesus is the good shepherd who goes out, he finds you, he brings you back to green pastures. In fact, I was talking to one of you, and, and uh, we were talking about this very passage this past week, and, and one of you said this, for men, Jesus, what, Jesus being the good shepherd means this, that Jesus is like your, your soldier buddy who jumps on the grenade 
to save your life. For ladies, he's the man that asks nothing of you. He doesn't want your body, but he freely gives his for you. Do you you see how good Jesus is, this good shepherd? How sweet this passage is? Maybe, Maybe you don't believe what the claims of Christianity. You're kind of wondering, you're skeptical. And that's okay. We want this to be a place where you can come and consider the claims of Christianity. But even if you don't believe that it's true, don't you want this to be true? That the one who authored all things, who created you, is a good shepherd who wants to lay his, who did lay his life down for you and is there to serve you? Jesus has used all of his power, everything that he has for you. And here's the thing. On the cross, what looked like defeat was actually the moment when he was slayed was the moment when he was jumping in front of the predator to save us. Remember in Genesis chapter 4, right after Adam and Eve are kicked out of the garden and God has this exchange with Cain. And what does he say? He says, your sin is like a crouching predator. Its desires to eat you. And just before it swallows us up in doom... Jesus mounted the cross, intervened, jumped between us and the predator. He jumped on the grenade that was about to blow up in our face. He dove in front of the bullet that was going to rip through our heart. And he laid his life down for us. That's what he does. That's what this gospel is saying. And to me, it seems to me that this is the whole story of salvation. That we left the sheepfold that was Eden... And we sought to do life on our own, and we got scattered, and we were moving around in barren places, in the wild, like sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus, the good shepherd, came down all the way from heaven. He came, and he entered this world, this wild, fallen world, and he came to scoop us up, to take us up into his arms, to put us over his shoulder, to carry us home. And that's what he's doing. He defeated our enemies and he's bringing us home all the while taking care of us, healing us, patching us up, mending our wounds where he will finally take us home to to green pastures. Let's pray. Jesus, we pray that you would be our good shepherd, that you would make us lie down in green pastures, that you would lead us beside still waters, that you would restore our souls. Lead us in paths of righteousness for your namesake. Even though we walk through darkness and death and and, and valleys, we don't fear because you are the good shepherd. Your rod and staff, they comfort us. We pray that you would not just take us home, but encourage us along the way so that we might believe your promises more deeply. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.